tell myself that if times ever get tough, just to push through, it's not only a physical game, it's a mental game as well. Your revival starts now. Welcome to Mental Talks, episode four of the new era. Uh, I'm Lewis. And I'm Paul. And today we have a very special guest, uh, part of the company that I work for, um, Chris Stunnell. Welcome, Chris. Uh, Thank you. Tell us about yourself. Yeah, my name's Chris. I'm a recovering alcoholic and drug addict. Um, I've been in recovery coming up to five years. Um, and yeah, you know, we'll get into that of, of, I suppose, what it was like, what brought me to that, to that ultimate low where I managed to turn and, and you know, take that step to, to the freedom and around that, you know, that mental aspect of, of an illness of addiction um, and, and the mental part of it and, and what li- life is like now, I suppose. We'll, we'll get onto that in a bit. And um, yeah, it's, uh, thanks for having me here today. This is the great thing about what we do is this is going to be a very honest episode um open honest and frank it it is um i think it's going to be quite tough but this is what we're about this is what we're about and this is mental talks yes exactly um so with that being said how's your mental health yeah it's all right you know it's uh had a stressful week Uh, keep getting bombarded by paul hannah so hurry up all the time yeah and i did i did a week of earlies last week 5 30 starts five in a row hated it um, I was very tired by the end of it, and then it went into the weekend. Didn't really do a lot. Oh, I went for a, a dinner. My sister, it's my little sister. Um, shout out to Jennifer O'Kane, who is now referred to as Doctor Jennifer O'Kane. Congratulations. Um, PhD, and it's in something to do with space. That I've done it, but we all had a family meal, and it was great to Where'd get. You go? Um, I forget the name. In Kidderminster. Good chat. Yeah. Uh-huh. But it was not nice to get the whole family together. What did you together. have to eat? What did I have to eat? A yeah. burger. A burger and chips. I weren't a big fan of the food, I'm not going to lie. You're, so very, de- you're very descriptive. Oh, okay. uh, that's why I'm not going to... Well, you know, if uh, if food's good, you remember the place, don't you? Yeah. You remember the name. So that tells you everything you need to know about the place we went to. Pizza Hut is wow, good. Wow. Pizza Hut Buffet is the best thing invented. Fan of the Pizza Hut Buffet, yeah. Chris? More of a TGI's man myself. TGI, TGI's yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. I'm a He's gun, taken us TGI's before. It's lovely. We had a day, lunch date at TGI's, did? didn't we? What today? No, no. no I was going to say. I was, I'd be jealous. Mm. TGI's is there. What would you go for? Uh, the chicken strips. Jack Daniel's chicken. Yeah. yeah. So if, being a recovering alcoholic, right? When you see things like Jack Daniel's um, thing, you know, my first thought is I'll have that just in case it's got that little bit of alcohol in it, right? Oh, really? But it's a me- again, it's a mental thing, you know. But it's all a flavour. There's no alcohol in it, right? But you know, I tend not to eat foods that's cooked with alcohol. Oh. Just in case. You know, I don't want to set off a phenomenon of craving, we call it in recovery. And um, that's yeah, I always see the names Jack Daniels or I see new drinks come out and I like new gins. I'm like, Shh, I missed out. Yeah, I never got yeah, to have yeah. that during my drinking yeah. days. And Unicorn gin. Unicorn gin, really? whatever it may be. My mum's favourite at the moment is uh, raspberry vodka. Raspberry vodka. Yeah. Cool. Uh, what about you then, Paul? How, uh, how's the old mental ticker going? Uh, yeah, it's all right. Yeah. It's going. It's going good. Um, I've got. Well, I say the, the last couple of weeks have been good. Obviously, last time we spoke about me enjoying my chicken and rice, and it's paid off. You know, within, yeah, yeah. I remember you sending me a photo one I didn't need to see. Within two but... weeks, managed to strip body fat, got my abs back. 
feeling on top of the world, um, training, training better than what I ever have done before, training using different techniques. Um, so it's more sustainable going forward. I'm not just whacking on the treadmill, running for an hour and burning fat. I'm actually building muscle and training the right way. So right now. On top of the world, um, my kids are doing really well. Hello. Um, they're, they're, they're doing lovely. Um, obviously, we just had Halloween. My eldest was Batman and I was Robin. Yeah, I saw that picture. Yeah. Class so, that was. Yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, it's going good. Work's going good as well. Um, the house is going good. Uh, however. Oh. However. Here we go. Last Thursday. So, this time last week, I was throwing up oh. all the time, all day. And today has been the first day in a week that I've had diarrhea. Oh, hey. so disclaimer. Uh, Thanks, yeah. for that, Paul. Yeah, just open and honest. Yeah, well, so, that's uh, what we're all about: open and honest. So yeah, it's been uh, it's been a tough week. Oh, um, I can imagine with some bum clenching. Have you been? I tell you, have you been taking creatine again? I've been taking protein, creatine, vitamins. Could you think? That's probably what it is. Pretty much everyone at work has said it's all that fucking shit you're taking. I took creatine once, never again. Never again. No, no, no. I spent one night at work from about 3 a.m. till 7 a.m. Going back and forth to the toilet. It Mad. was yeah, no, nasty. It's good, though. I mean, yeah, well, I can imagine it's good because it strips you out from the inside. <laughs> but I seem to be in the gym working well. You know what yeah, I mean? Good, like yeah. it's, it's, it's good. I'm focused. I'm proud I'm of people. Sta- I'm staying there for like two hours, two and a half hours yeah, yeah. and just trying different stuff because I'm trying to get better at training, not just do the same old stuff. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's me. Right so now. yeah, Chris, how how's your mental health? How's my mental health? Do you know what I've been struggling a bit recently? Um, I haven't been working my recovery program to the best of my ability, um, which for me, you know, it's I'm in recovery for life, right? In what I do, and I attend meetings of a twelve step fellowship, and and I've lost a bit of connection. I've lost a little bit of my way, right? And we go through stages of this in recovery because you can get bored of the same people, bored of hearing the same message. And I've sort of let it slip a bit. And, and what goes for me first, mentally, it's the mental behaviours that come in, you know, the thoughts that come into your head, whether that's thoughts of drinking, thoughts of suicide, thoughts of deceit, any thoughts that can come into my head of obscured thinking when I'm not working a, a, a programme of a standard. I've dropped out exercise, whether that be a walk in the morning. I did it this morning because I knew I was on here today. I wanted to get myself in the right mindset, right? Stress at work. Again, it all comes back to... It's all about mental behaviours and thoughts, right? We have no control over that first thought that comes into our head. We have no control. What we do have control is over how we entertain that thought, right? So a thought can come into my head, Chris, have a drink, right? And and my my good side says, "Why why don't you fuck off, right? If I'm not in the right frame of mind, it then says it again and it says it louder. Yeah. Chris, let's have a drink. Oh, that pub over there, that looks nice. Right. So in the wrong frame of mind, my head can start to buy into a delusional lie that I'm like you two and can drink normally. Right. So when I'm not working my program properly, my thinking goes obscured and I become a different person. I don't want to work. I don't want to get up in the morning. I don't want to motivate. And so do you think that's you recently? I've been a bit like that recently. Okay. Um, I've gone for a few stages throughout my journey like that. And I've got myself in very, very low places in recovery where it's like where it comes to a matter of I don't want to live anymore because I've got two choices, right? I either pick up a drink and I, 
because to me, if I pick up a drink and a drug, I'll end up dying, I believe, right? Because because of where it takes me, right? Because I can't drink, you know, I've lost the right to chemically balance my mind or emotions through drugs or alcohol. So it's, yeah, for me, it's behaviours. And when I'm not working a programme and I'm not staying connected with my fellows that, you know, the, the other recovering drug addicts, alcoholics, yeah. it really throws me off. When I throw myself into work too much, my recovery gets neglected. I don't want to see my kids, you know, things that I, the, 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 the people that I love the most, I don't want to see they're an inconvenience. In addiction, I didn't want my kids at all. I didn't want them around me, right? They got in the way. Um, and they were a hindrance. You know, I, I could sit here and say, Do you know, what? I didn't love my kids when I was in addiction. But I don't know for you, Paul, as a loving father, it's probably hard for you to hear something like that, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, they got in the way of me using cocaine. They got in the way of me drinking. They got in the way of me stealing money off everybody close to me, right? To, you know, I'd steal money from them to cover my addiction. They got in the way, right? And I now have my kids every Wednesday. I have them every other weekend. I speak to them in the mornings, right? And my relationship is building, but my head can still go, fuck them off, Chris. They're getting in the way again. They're getting in the way of life. But the truth is I quickly shut that up. I love having my kids. I pick them up 10 minutes early every time I'm due to get them, right? Yeah, yeah. But I've got to be honest around my thinking because the whole point of mental health is being honest around thinking, right? It's okay to have them thoughts. What's not okay is to dwell on them thoughts and let yourself buy into them, which I can be guilty of a lot. And, you know, when I talk to people like, Chris, your thinking isn't straight. It's your stinking thinking. We use that phrase. Okay. Okay. I love that phrase. So it's the stinking thinking that causes the problems for me today. Because if I don't share my thinking, it means I'm keeping it to myself. If I'm keeping it to myself, it means I'm buying into it. It means I'm buying into the delusional lies that's in my head that I could go and drink like you that I could go out and do what I want on a Friday and have no consequences. So I'm free to make the choices I want to make, but I'm not free from the consequences of my choices. And I've got big consequences in terms of my career that's thriving, you know, thanks to recovery, thanks to my honesty, I've got myself into a place, you know, financially that I'd never dreamed of in terms of what I earn and where I was at to where I'm at now. Um, And it's, it's all a result of 12 step fellowship. So we have a rule, right? We do anonymous programs. We don't talk about the program. So I'm not going to mention the names of what I do. If anybody wants to reach out by all means, we'll put my phone number on. People can reach out and talk okay. to me. Yeah. Sounds good. But it's an anonymous program that I work. It doesn't mean I can't talk about how we work it and what we do. Yeah. Well, before we get into that, obviously, um, we've established it's going to be quite a deep, deep episode, uh, quite a truthful episode. Open yeah, and honest. Um, intrigued by this. So yeah, let's get into it. So, so yeah, Chris, you are very open about your addiction. Um, when did this start? Okay, so we've got two parts here. I've got alcoholism and I've got addiction. They're both the same thing. They're both addicted to a mind-altering substance, right? And they made my life unmanageable. So I'm going to go to alcohol. I believe I was an alcoholic from birth, okay? The reason I say that is because when at the age of 12 or 13, when I started to have a drink with my mates... When I put them drinks in me and I liked the way that it made me feel, right? It changed my emotions. It anesthetized. It silenced my head, right? When all my mates had finished, I would be trying to still get more alcohol because it wasn't enough. Right? I had to drink to the point of blackout, right? To the point of my mum picking me up where I'm covered in sick, right? Mm. At 13, 14 years old, whatever it was, stripping my clothes off to get in her car, right? And I remember waking up the next day thinking, I want to do that again, Right? Then staying stopped for a period of time and doing the exact same thing to the blackout. 
I had no control, no mental control. And you know, that's the age of 14, right? And, and I went through that stage of drinking for some time. And it would be occasional, maybe every three, four months, not, not serious, right? Then I finished school, I went to college. Um, I was joining the police, that was my original career. Wow. Um, I went to Brooklyn's College, did public services. I was in the Metropolitan Police Cadets from the age of 14 to 18. Um, I went out when I was 18 and I got, I had some snake bite, got absolutely paralytic and I, and I got into some trouble. So I got, I got discharged from any training, wasn't allowed to join the service or any public service for eight years. Um, and do you know, it was a big career changer and alcohol was creeping up to be worse and worse. Okay. It was coming on me quite a bit. Cocaine came into my life sort of when I was, when I was about 19 after the police thing ended. Um, I went to watch Amir Khan in a boxing match. That's the first time I did a line of cocaine, right? And I remember thinking, this stuff can make me drink more. So for me, to have something that can make me drink more, fantastic, right? Because I want to drink. And then, do you know, it is recreational. There were times where I didn't turn up to work, you know, on the odd days from, from, from heavy Fridays or Thursday become the new Friday, so I didn't go in on a Friday. And then, you know, addiction really took me. I think when I got to the age, I got to the age of about 24, 25, right? And I had a lot of money around me in terms of I run my dad's business. He trusted me with his business. Um, I had a lot of cash around. And I can't tell you where my life went from fun to fucked. So, excuse my language, right? But it went from fun to fucked. And, 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 and I'll, 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 I'll cut this very short. What my life turned to was me stealing nearly a quarter of a million pound off my mum and dad, right, through their business. Owing 80 grand to loan sharks, spending my money, you know, every month, taking money off it. I used to manipulate, borrow or beg money off any person possible, right, to, to pay the dealer for the stuff that I'd had and to get more. You know, I'd try and be a very unsuccessful drug dealer. I'd buy big amounts and do it all, you know, thinking I'd sell it and, and, and try to manipulate my own mind into the right things to do. Um, and it would constantly go around in a, in a circle. I say, I can't do this anymore. You know, come the end of a working day. So I used to use at work. So most of my using was in work. Okay, so I'd get to work. Did uh, no one ever, like, cotton on at work or? Yes. Oh, they did? And it enabled me in some ways. Because um, they knew you were? A few people, I, yeah. They, they knew what was going on. I think they used to pry on it. You know, I was managing a company and they had a bit of an easy ride in some sense. Oh, wow. And it, and it went against me a few ways, you know. I was taking money out the till. I was blackmailed by people I worked with because I caught them doing it. And they said, look, I'll tell your dad basically you know and, and, and it caused some things but my routine I used to get to work at half five six in the morning I'll do eight, eight tins of Foster's before seven o'clock and I'll be doing a gram of cocaine like this is before work so and I, you, you could <coughs> like function at work I'd like to say yes degree. right but I remember this is me sitting in an office out the back with my door shut okay, not facing yeah. anybody right not being able to speak clearly everybody knew what was going on you know, around me and, 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 and nobody would really have spoke about it because it was, you know, I was a very moody, very sort of protective, I suppose, in some sense. But the reality mm. is I did not want to be doing that. I never woke up one morning and thought, I'm going to be a drug addict. It was never my choice. My mum didn't give birth thinking, oh, this boy's going to be a drug addict. Nothing happened in my life to make me do that. You know, I haven't got trauma that happened in my life and we get some people in recovery with that, you know. Do you... Um... You, you, when you go back, you say that you took cocaine after you got discharged. Do you think that was the event that made you turn to something that... No. No? I'm glad I got discharged because I think I would have gone the wrong way. Oh, really? I think the way, my, I think the way I'm wired, I don't think I had control over that. 
you know, it's, I think it would have happened in one way or another. Um, I think with my dishonesty that came into my life, I don't think I would have been very good at that job. And I think it could have ended badly. Well, if I'm honest about it, no, right? No, that's, that's, yeah, it's very honest. We always think of it like events. We look at events and I just, you know, I think yeah. when you said that, I thought, oh, that's that's the event where it sparked you to go, I'm going to go and do something that makes me feel free. Mm-hmm. Reality like... is I was already an alcoholic, right? Okay. Um, and, yeah, it just, listen, it's out of control. The, the life got out of control. And quite quickly, but, you know, I, for six years, I just doing it every day right i'd go home from work generally i'm going home late i'd have my last line you know come five o'clock thinking right i'll be ready to go back to the to the kids which i don't really want to be didn't want to be with my ex um a lot of the time i'd make excuses to to stay at work and i've got deliveries to do and you know shamefully i would sleep under my desk at work a lot right i wouldn't shower three four five six days wouldn't brush my teeth i'd have no self-respect Right, I'd smell, I'd stink. I didn't care. I didn't care. I had no, that no self-respect, and you know, people used to pick me up on it, and it, and it just used. To, I really didn't care. All I was interested in where's my next line? Who's going to bring the next bit of cash in that I can steal, that I can manipulate from? You know, who who's going to fund it? Loan sharks came into my life. You know, with a lot of money. Um, it gave me some consequences. You know, in terms of getting hit. Um, and all the time I'm worried about it coming out to my dad, you know, because they're saying to me, look, we're, we're going to go and we'll have your old man over it and all this, right? They knew exactly where I worked it and it all went down that route. And it was tough. And uh, for me, doing more cocaine from the fact of the guilt of what I've done to other people. So my guilt is because I've stole money, then I steal more to get more cocaine to shut up the guilt, to shut up the mind. Oh, yeah, I'm... Um... I'm intrigued. Um, yeah, you say you know you you slept at work and no one did. No one step in to to help or offer help. Yeah, or, you think if you had a team around you, there'd mm, be people that would at least or even uh, dare try say, and give you a bit of a shake. Um, your dad? Did you work with your with your dad? My dad stopped coming into work. So okay, it, it made. It, do you know what the reality is? My nan got sick. My dad didn't want to come into work anymore. Okay. Um, with his own mental health really is the honest selfishly i didn't see that you know i didn't have an, have an understanding of mental health until i got into recovery um and and i abused it you know the guy gave me trust you know he, he gave me a salary that was that was nice it was it was livable you know for my age um i could have had a, i could have had a very good lifestyle reality is i'm now 34 i don't own a house you know i've, I've just got a good credit rating from from the last five years it's taken me four years to pay my debts off um but it's, you know, it strips it from you. But the biggest thing, you know, I'll get onto this relationship with my parents in a bit, but, you know, when it all came out, I tell you, shall I tell you how, recover- shall I tell you how it ended? Yeah, what I was going to ask is obviously when you mentioned before we started about the rock bottom, you mm-hmm. know, we, we talk about the light bulb moment. Mm-hmm. Um, when was that? When was that for you? Yeah, so in recovery, we'd call that the rock bottom, right? My rock bottom, I believe, I was sitting in it for a couple of years, right? Without knowing a solution or a way out. You know, without knowing there was help. Because for me, the only help I saw in my head was somebody that could bail me out for money. That's the only help that I saw, or only, or that's the only help I craved. 
but I was bailed out for money three or four times by good friends, by my dad. Um, and I'll do it again. I'd get myself back into the same debts with the same people. And it's like, a, you know, it's just a constant revolving door. You know, same thing would happen again and again. But my rock bottom, right? I, remember, I was going away on a family camp, right? All my family go away once a year in June. A great do, right? And this is on a Friday. Loading up my car, you know, with, um, with the boys. I load up the car and I'm, and I'm drinking whilst I'm doing it, right? Because everything to me, I just have to have a drink. And I'll be drinking on the sly. Just rewind a little bit. I went into a thing called Smart Recovery a few years ago, right? And um, this was for a doctor referral because my missus said I had a drinking problem, but I didn't think I did. Right, but I went to the doctors anyway for it. They put me onto a smart recovery and I had an opportunity of, of, of some form of recovery. But what I used to do, because I was told to go there, right, by, by my uh, girlfriend at the time, not by my choice. And what I've learned is if you want to recover, you've got to do it for yourself and nobody else, yeah. right? And um, I used to go and hide my phone. You know, we had to find my iPhone on. I used to hide it in the bush outside the recovery hut and go to the pub, go back over, pick up my phone, ready for her to take me home. The lies, the constant lies that used to, you know, I wasn't a believable person in anything that I said, but I believed it, right? I used to believe my own bullshit in that sense, right? So that was an early opportunity for recovery. So this camping night, so I'm getting the car ready, right? And I'm drinking and, and you know what? And I've drank so much, right? And I remember just being sick everywhere, right? My kids have gone to bed and I'm being sick everywhere and just saying, I can't go on like this anymore. I've got, I'm crying. Can't go on like this anymore. And she's like, can't go on with what? I said, just life. I cannot go on. I do not want to go on. She called my mum. My mum came, you know, bearing in mind I'm a 30-year-old man, right? I'm not a kid. I'm not a 14-year-old kid anymore at that stage. My mum's come to pick me up, right? And they've taken me back to their house. And, and I'm just sitting, I don't want to live. I don't want to go on anymore. I can't do this. And they're not understanding the problem, right? Or what's going on. And anyway, I sort of swore that day I wasn't going to drink again, right? On the, on, the, on the Saturday when we're leaving for this camping trip. Anyway, we've got to this camping trip. First thing I've done is get a drink. Right, to stop my jitters, to shut my mind up again because I'm starting to feel like a piece of shit because of the consequences. Was your, was your brain telling you that there and then that you needed to drink? My brain a lot of time was telling me to jump in front of a train. Oh, right. That's the reality, wow. to, to, to be blunt. Because I couldn't see a way out. I knew that if this money thing comes out, I'm going to ruin the relationship with my parents, you know, with all this deceit. Mm. If the, if the kid's mum found out what was going on, my relationship would be over. I'd have nowhere to live. Um, and, you know, my biggest thoughts was, Chris, how can you die and it be an accident where people don't realise that you've... This is, a, this is the terminology I used at the time, that people don't realise that you took the shortcut and made an easy way out. What I realise now is that suicide is no shortcut. You know, I've lost people in recovery. And the way that I can put this, and, and I said this on a mental health thing with you, Paul, that is somebody's best thinking. Their best thinking is to kill themselves, right? Because that's what's going through their head, right? So the best thing they can think of is to end their life, right? And I remember I used to go out of work and look at the rough street. I could hang myself from there. You know, I want to jump in front of this train. And I couldn't, obviously I'm sitting here, I never did that, but th them thoughts that would continuously come into my head because it would be the way out. It would be the solution. It would shut my head up permanently. And, you know, and, and I'm not going to say cowardly I didn't do that because that's not the case. I'm glad I didn't do that, of course. Um, you know, there's always something in my head, I suppose, that said, don't do that. Yeah. You know, don't do that. And 
you know, and anyway, I drank that weekend. The weekend after, this, the week after, same thing. I'm drinking every day back in that back in that circle. Then on June, June the tenth, twenty seventeen. I remember that date where I was out with some customers. I'd always be making an excuse to go to customers. Oh, I've got to go see a customer on a Friday night. I've gone and met these customers in a pub, and I could have done a lie detector, right? And said, I'm going to go out tonight and I'm going to have one pint. Right, because I believe that to be true. And what I find that the, the body of an alcoholic is a bit abnormal, right? So my, said, my head says have one, right? As soon as I've had that one, it sets off this thing in my body, right? A phenomenon of craving, right? The addictiveness. Now, that, now the, head has had, the head has lost control and the body's taken over. The body's in saying to me, Chris, you need more. Drink more, drink more, drink more. Take more gear. Right, so my head has the first one, my body takes the rest. Once that first one's gone in me, I'm gone. Right, once that, same as now, right? I, I'm not going to risk it. If I have one shot of vodka, whatever it is, I'd be gone. Wow. In powerful. Very powerful. Yeah. Um, so I appreciate your honesty. You know, it's, mm -hmm. um, the, you're opening so up. And was it around then that you hit hit this hit the rock bottom yeah so the rock bottom that was realized again i suppose realized so, so what happens i've gone out with this customer on a friday night gone back to my office which was a normal thing my office was that was the drug den and i've gone back there and i was supposed to give a geezer it was eight grand this geezer i was supposed to give him eight grand the day before i didn't have a penny of it I told him i'd be there in half hour I told him i'd be there in an hour and i never turned up right so i've gone out with this customer and i've got absolutely off on that like we normally would you know, nights nights would end up, but you know, with sex workers, that's the reality. That's that's where my addiction took me every single time, because it's something different. Again, more money, um, and I've gone. We've gone back to back to my office, and on a Saturday Saturday morning, I'm at work, and you know, I've got wine bottles there. I've got gear all over the table. The skeezers come down to my work, right? Chris, where's my fucking money? Remember at the time when I'm trying to blag this guy, right? This guy, my dad, is actually a friend of mine. You know, we talked today. Um, so where's my fucking money? You know, and he wanted to have it, right? I've been messing him about for so he wanted to have it. And I've managed, you know, I remember just breaking down into tears. For the first time in my life, I broke down in front of a man and said, you know what, I'm fucked. I'm absolutely fucked. I need help. You know, I feel emotional talking about it now. And I said, I need help. And, and he just said, you're a fucking mess. And he left, right? This guy left him. The guy that was out the night before, he turned to me and he said, Chris, you're fucked, isn't you? I said, I am. I'm proper fucked. I don't want to go on like this anymore. I don't want to keep taking this powder that's ruining my life, my finances, my career, my, my relationships, personal relationships, sexual relationships, whatever it may be. I don't want to drink anymore. And he said to me, he goes, I know a man that can help you. Right, first thing that's come into my head, this man's got loads of money, he can bail me out. That's the first thought that's come into my head, right? Yeah. What happened was this, this, this guy's rang this other guy and uh, he's turned up. He's come down an hour later. He said, Chris, he goes, you've got a bit of a problem. I said, no shit. I've got a bit of a problem. So I can help you. I'm thinking, sweet. He can help me. He said, we do these meetings. We meet up. He said, we help people with recovery. This guy, what I now, what I now come to know, was, was also a recovering drug addict. We help people. He goes, you know, you can go to meetings every single day. You can do three or four meetings a day if you like. Slow down, mate. You know what I mean? Because at first I'm thinking of, right, okay, what's going on here, right? This is on, this is on the Saturday. And he said, listen, you're in the middle of a spree at the moment. He said, you're in the middle of drinking, you're in the middle of taking cocaine. He said, have you got any gear left? I said, yes. 
He said, there's no point in us talking anymore today. So carry on doing your gear because you ain't going to stop for me. He said, but here's my number. Call me. I can help you. I can help you be free from the terror, misery and pain of addiction. But okay. Took the guy's number, carried on using my gear, what I'd left. Went back to my mum and dad's that night, um, which was my normal routine, not going back to the kids, etc. That's my mum and dad's. And I remember sitting sit, on the sun. It was the Sunday morning I went back, sorry. Sleeping in my office that night. And I remember going back. I went back to my mum and dad's and I'm thinking, I need to start being honest with people. I'm sitting on my mum's sofa. I've got tears running down my face. She's saying, what is wrong with you, Chris? We're going to end up picking you up from a gutter, for one. You're going to be dead. He said, you've got, you know, you've got three amazing children. You just don't give a fuck. You know, what is wrong with you? And I'm sitting and I've got tears running down my face saying, nothing, I'm fine. Because I'm not being honest with my mum and dad, right? What I'm wanting to say is, I'm robbing you blind. I'm taking money from your pockets, from the business. I, I owe so much money, I am absolutely fucked. I'm crippled. I'm crippled with fear. You know, I'm crippled with self-hatred and, and I don't know a way out. I need help. But what I've said is, with tears running down my face, I'm fine. I just like a drink. You know, I enjoy it. I'm just doing what most people would do. Reality is people, you know, 30 years old with kids don't do that. And she says, just sort your life out with you. You're a fucking mess. And I remember that line, right? And it's... <laughs> you know, and, and after that, that day's gone through. I've slept it off, right? Following day, my phone's rang. This is the Monday. My phone's rang. I've gone into work as normal. Telling myself I'm not going to do drugs anymore, right? Now, reality is I've told myself thousands of times I'm no longer going to drink or do cocaine, yeah. right? I've gone to work. My phone's ringing. This matey, he said, he said to me, he said, Chris, you're going to come to this meeting tonight. So I can't come tonight. I said, I need to speak to my mum and dad about money and things like that. And I remember as he's saying this, and, you know, I'm crippled with fear. Right? And that fear, that internal fear, I think, in a lot of ways, what's going to happen, you know, the fear of what hasn't happened and the fear of what has happened, right? Both sides of it. And I left it 10 minutes. I rang that guy back and I said, you know what? I said, I need this meeting tonight. Yeah, I need to come to this meeting. Where is it? Explain to me where the meeting was. I said to my brother that, 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 that works opposite me at the time, I need to go to this meeting tonight. Um, can you take me? He said, yeah, no problem. And he, he came to meeting with me. And, um, how, how did you feel agreeing to go to that meeting? Because that's the that's first step, step yeah, isn't that's, it? That's, that must have been huge sat there on the phone thinking, yeah, yeah I'm going to go. My mind was very befogged right, through, through come down, through self-pity, through, through whatever else. And how did I feel? Scared frightened um you know afraid obviously three similar words there but mm. the fear of unknown um i'm also knowing at this time the wheels are about to fall off right around the money with with the loan sharks with with everybody else with mum and dad i knew the wheels were going to fall off and yeah i felt afraid i felt afraid that i'd that i'd ask for help i felt afraid of being judged um I felt, did you, you know, did you feel vulnerable very I was vulnerable for a very long period of time. With what what I've what I've realised, you know, I help a lot of drug addicts and alcoholics now. Vulnerability is we mask with ego. Right, like we have a big mask on of of do you know what I'm all right. Really inside, you're a broken, vulnerable man, which is me. I had that face on. Do you know what? I'm all right. Fucking hell, getting the girls on the weekend. I'm on the. I'm loving life. It's a mask. You know, I think 
anybody in life can be guilty of wearing a mask, right? Yeah, we talk about it quite a lot, don't we? Yeah, we you do, put yeah. that face on. Put that, that yeah, face. I'm fine, yeah, I'm, I'm the man. And how many faces yeah. do we have? That's the question. Yeah, yeah, right? loads. You know, and and I'm, and I'm on my way to that. So this this was on the, the 12th of June, 2017. On the way to that meeting, I stopped at a pub called the Flintgate in Weybridge. I had two pints of Heineken. The Heineken had the, you know, had the condensation running down the side of the glass. It had a perfect head on top of the pints. I remember looking at them, thinking, I want these to be my last pints. I want, you know, and I'd drink two in 10 minutes, whatever it was. At the time, I've got to be honest, I didn't really con- consider myself to be an alcoholic. I considered myself to be a drug addict, right? Because as far as I thought, cocaine was the one that took me to my knees. Now, the reality is I never did cocaine without alcohol and I didn't do alcohol without cocaine. So I've gone into this meeting, which is, which is revolved around cocaine. Very quickly, in this room, it's about any mind-altering substance, okay? So this could be prescription meds that, that you're taking where you shouldn't. It can be illegal substances, legal highs. If you have got a desire to stop, you're welcome in, that, in them rooms, right? That's the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop. So I've gone to this meeting. I remember going in there, right? And, and everybody looks happy. They look joyous. They look free. People are coming up, you know, what's your number? Trying to give you a hug, look, welcome. Thinking, what the fuck is going on here? Right, these geezers asking for my number. You know, and again, I'm wearing this mask. I've gone in there and people are saying, oh, yeah, I'm all right. Right, it is, I'm not. You haven't walked into this meeting by accident. No. I've walked there because I've got a problem and a craving beyond my mental control. Yeah. And, you know, I remember introducing myself as, you know, I'm Chris and I'm a drug addict. Took me about, took me about two months to introduce myself as Chris, the alcoholic drug addict, right? Because I didn't see, I never went into recovery with an intention of staying off drink or drugs. I, pl- I went into recovery to try and learn how to use them properly, mentally, right? How I could go out with my lads, with the lads on a Friday and have a couple of pints, like, yeah. like you might, like you might, right? That was what my intention was. I very quickly learned and educated, you know, through, through, through the fellows in there, what addiction actually is, you know, to, to mind-altering substances. And, you know, and, and, and I, was, I used to say, you know, alcohol's not my problem when I first went in, you know, and because, and, and they said, if it's not a problem, you'll have a problem giving it up. I thought, right, maybe we've got a problem here. You know, I've been done for drink driving three times. I've been arrested 19 times. Every single time has been related to alcohol. I've never been arrested sober. Um, but it all comes down to drink, right? And, and, and drugs, you know, I've been done for possession of class A substances, say the three DD bands. Um, and, you know, I very quickly realised I was an alcoholic and and coming to terms with it, do you know what was a really difficult thing, right? I can imagine. Yeah. It was really difficult because that was the only thing I knew. The only thing I knew to shut my brain up was drink and drugs, right? Or fixating on women or, or whatever we're doing, right? That's the only way I knew that I could shut up my brain. So to all of a sudden, it was very scary when you go in and say, you, you don't ever need to drink again. Yeah, but I want to, right? When, when are you going in? And, and, you know, as I sit here to this day, never having a drink since them last two pints, which is, you know, I remember. Were they actually your, your last? There was my last two pints. Every, every time you've had a drink. Last every time I've had a drink. Wow. And um, fair play to that. Um, but that it's not been easy. Okay, yeah, wow. I can imagine it's probably just... I, I I can't imagine how hard a journey that is. You know, we we've all been on our own journeys in life, battles. Mom, mom's mental health, depression, anxiety. Never, 
addiction. The only thing I've ever been addicted to was smoking, and that was that was incredibly hard to give up. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, what to go from to go to go from I'm 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 trying to understand how do you go from all of that to just stop? That must take cold, a lot. Cold of, turkey. It yeah. sounds like, doesn't it? And yeah, uh, yeah. it's uh, quite hard to get your head around it. But fair, fair play for doing it. You yeah. know. Do you know what the you know, being honest was the hardest part of recovery, right? So, so the first principle is honesty. Right? If you can be honest, you will stay clean. Because if you're being honest, you're remaining vulnerable. I'm vulnerable today, right? At work, obviously, I'm a different person in, in terms of how I, 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 I conduct myself. But I'm a vulnerable person. I'm in touch with my emotions, you know. And, and, and I'm very, you know, I try, to sp- I try to reach out to people, you know, people that are cleaner than me, people that have been through what I've been through. And, in terms of sobriety i've been for a lot in sobriety and, and we can touch on that as well and you know I, I like to remain vulnerable because as soon as i think i've got this i'm gone right that's what i believe as soon as i think i'm recovered from addiction i'm gone right that's that's my own belief right wow. you know i'm still a drug addict i'm still an alcoholic that hasn't gone if i have one drink i'm gone i'm gone again i'm gone on that spree um you know, a lot of stuff happened in recovery. So I was 60 days clean and it all come out about the money with my mum and dad. So all the deceit came out. Did you decide to do that or did it come out a different came, way? It came out. It came out. It wasn't okay. my choice. So it was coming out because I stopped covering my tracks. I don't want to lie. I didn't want it to be that guy. So I was waiting for it to come out, but still denying it when asked. Right. Wow. If that makes sense. And I remember going on holiday and I was away for a week. And, and you know what? And I thought to myself, I thought it's going to come out when I'm gone. Good. And... So I got back from holiday for 60 days and my mum and dad had called me around the house in the morning rather than going into work. And they said to me, right, they said, we want to give you one opportunity. They said, how many people do you owe money to? And I said, nobody. Right, Because even though I was clean, I wasn't honest, right? You, you, you can't just walk into a recovery room and all of a sudden after a week expect to be the most honest man in the world. Mm. Yeah. It's taken a lot of work to get to where I'm at today, right? Nobody. And, and they said, oh, we found out about this. No, I sorted him out. I've done that. Right, anyway, my, and, and, and my mum and dad said to me these, these specific words, right, that I took in a total wrong way. We cannot support you as an employer, but we want to support you as our son. Right? I told him to go fuck themselves. Right? You know, I was 60 days clean, right? Look at me, I'm 60 days clean. Can't you see I'm trying to be better? Because, because I'm not seeing it for how it is. The reality is they found out I've been fucking them over. Wow. Um, and, you know... And I, I threw their work key at them. And I remember I left. And I let myself back in the house and I threw their door key at them. Like just with anger. With, you know, with resentment. Not thinking about, the, not thinking about how they feel. You know. And um, so I left there. You know, I got another job pretty quick to be fair in that sense. But, you know, we didn't speak for over three years. You know, my parents wouldn't speak to me. They wouldn't take my calls. Um. You know, we, we work a 12-step program, and step nine of that is making amends to people you've harmed. And uh, I was about six months clean. I asked my mum if they'd see me. They said, yeah, they let me around the house. And I remember I was trying to make an amends, right? And, you know, as, I, as I've grown in recovery, I learned this. I was trying to, I, I, I was sort of apologising, but not really meaning or understanding the debt for the shit that I'd caused. And it was always, I'm sorry, but, right? Yeah. But yeah. this. That. Or isn't it like an excuse for why you'd done something you, know, you, you just felt like you... You know, you shouldn't have given me that, that, that salary at that age. You shouldn't have left me with all this responsibility. You shouldn't have done this, right? Reality is they left me because they trusted me, right? 
trusted me to run their business and, and, and to build it. Um, but I couldn't see that at the time because I was so delusional by my own, by my own stinking thinking that it's always got to be somebody else's fault. Everything that happens to us in our life has always got to be somebody else's fault. And it wasn't until... No, I'll touch on my mental parents very quickly, right? My mum was dying in hospital, right? So, which, which was like, my mum was in her care home. She, she, she was passing away. And I remember going in to see my nan, like, really close with her. My nan had bad dementia, Alzheimer's. And I used to go in there and talk to her every single week about what was going on with my mum and dad, about what I'd done, right? She would never remember it. But for me, I used to go in and I used to cry with my nan, right? Because it used to be such a great escape. While I was working recovery, right? I used yeah. to go in and talk to her. I used to go in there, you know, two, three times a week sometimes. And she knew all the problems. But she forgot by the time I'd left, right? But she used to say, she used to, say to me, don't worry, it'll be okay, right? And my nan got really sick and, and I remember ringing my dad, look, nan's not good, I think you should come down. And, and my nan's in this, she's laying in this chair and um, I called an ambulance to come. Over. My mum and dad have walked in, right? And I'm just over three years clean at the time and I've got, you know, I'm, I'm in big tears, I've got tears running down my face. So my mum and dad's come in and, <laughs> you know, my mum has just come up to me, right? And she gave me a big hug, right? And sort of said, it's all right. And, um, you know, and I remember sitting there just feeling that guilt, that shame, that remorse around what I've done to these people. My dad's gone over on a sofa over there. You know, he's, he's got tears running down his face. And mum and and said, go and talk to him. I said, I can't talk to him. I don't know what to say. And um, I remember just sitting there thinking, it, it really started to sink in what I'd actually done to these people. What I'd done to my mum and dad, the people that loved me, you know, for, from... From birth, it's my stepdad, by the way, took me on from the age of two. You know, he's brought me up as his own. He, he's loved me unconditionally as, as his son. And and when I went into hospital and she, and she, she came back out, she, she, she was in and out of conscious after that in, in the care home. She, she was bedridden. And um, you know, for, the next, for the next three weeks, I spent a lot of time with my mum and dad at my nan's bedside. I was very close to my nan. And, and we started to really speak about what I'd done, you know, in their time. And... And we really started to speak about how I made them feel, um, you know, what, what I'd done to them throughout, throughout my time of addiction. And um, they started to ask me questions and I was honest. And, and you know, for the first time in my life, you know, it took me three years, I just held my hands up and said, you know what, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for everything that I've done. And, you know, and my mum said to me, she goes, do you know what, Chris? She goes, it's not the money. She goes, the biggest thing you stole from me is my peace of mind. And that's priceless. Because I'll never get that back. And, you know, we spent some time talking and we went out for some lunches. Um, yeah, because it was all about my nan at the time, right? And my nan passed away on, on the, on, in, in, you know, it was on her birthday. She passed away on her actual birthday. And we spent New Year's together, etc. at my nan's bedside. And, and you know, my nan passed away. And, and I believe, I genuinely believe this, that, that she stayed long enough for us to repair our relationship. That's powerful. Right, you know, and, yeah. and and we started to repair it from there and um and it really started to just started to take off and I think it's just you know, where I just admitted, you know what, nothing can take me down in that sense and I held my hands up to took full responsibility for what I'd done. Obviously we can we can see how emotional you're sort of getting now. Can't even imagine how it was at the time, you know, and um must have must have taken a lot a lot to to do that it's a lot of swallowing your pride right mm. yeah you know sometimes we have to it must have been very you know that you 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 in that moment were probably the strongest you've ever been for a long time yeah. to be able to do that and and, and do you know what to show real emotion 
you know, I was emotionless. You know, I can sit in a room with lads and yeah, I've got tears in my eyes right now, right? And, and I can sit here and be honest because honesty has got me to where I'm at today. You know, honesty has got me to the place in my career that I'm at today. It's got me to, to, the, to, to the relationship with my kids today, thanks to my honesty, right? And, you know, to cut the story short, two months later, I moved back into my mum and dad. Right, you know, I split up with the, the kid's mum before and I moved back in with my mum and dad. And it's not our relationship is fantastic, right? And, and they said to me the other day, she goes, we've never forgotten what you've done. But we're forgiving you. You know, I give them money every month. And the, the, the money is irrelevant. It's not about that, right? Not that they've got loads because they haven't. Um, you know, it's not about what I've done. It's just now it's about, you know, our relationship is better than it's ever been. You know, we can sit there and we're honest. We laugh and joke about it to an extent. Um, but the, I've got the, the pain. The pain is obviously still there, mm-hmm. but it's it's good that they are they have they have forgiven you that they're going through their own process of it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it's you know it's obviously remarkable that you've managed to sort of between you all you've you've salvaged that relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. And you know, with with my kids, I give you know my my ten year old Jay. He hasn't forgotten when I didn't turn up to his fifth birthday party. He hasn't forgotten the weekends I didn't turn up and he still brings it up today. And you know what? It really hurts. Uh, do you, remember, you know, you never used to bother seeing us all the time. Why do you bother now? You know, I'm not with, with their mum anymore, but you know, I've never turned up late to pick them up since, since the day I left two years ago. I'm always there from when they need me. But they haven't forgotten. You know, a 10-year-old kid still says to me, oh, when you used to drink all the time and shout at us. You know, I was never physically abusive to my kids or anything like that, but... It still bring it up, and it's still like to. Some, and it makes me it can make me angry at sometimes, and then I have to just have to remember that's his way of processing. I have to wind myself down. Sometimes I can snap in the car when he wants to dig me out, and you know, I'm still human, but I still make a lot of mistakes, especially yeah. mentally. You know, I've I put down a problem with drinking drugs. I left the problem with me, and I'm the biggest problem, right? I'm left with the problem with me and my mindset, and and not in the right mindset. My my thinking is very negative. I'm very obscured, um, you know, around any situation. So how's how's your mindset now? As as we stand right now. As we stand right now. I feel really emotional. I feel okay. really emotional. Um, okay. You know, I'm sitting here with two guys I don't even know. Really, obviously, I know we know each other a little bit from work, Paul. And yeah. I can sit here and be honest about my story. Right no, now. I think that's um, yeah, incredibly powerful to sit. Oh, I don't know, and for you to sit here and tell me, you know, your life and what's happened and you know, what you've been through is is just you know it's, it's what we do this because talking being honest being open can only get you so it just gets you everywhere doesn't it mm-hmm. um we always say you know the first step to anything whether that be addiction mental health is being honest with yourself being you yeah, saying to yourself yeah. i've got i've got to change yeah. i've got Re- to do this realizing there's a problem i want and to be accountable this. for it yeah you know and and making that you know, you took that first step off going to that meeting, and obviously, look, look where you are now. You've 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 salvaged your relationship with your parents. You're in a decent job. You're de- you know, you've got that relationship with your children. Everything. Get, get married. Get married. Wow! Oh, wow! Wow! Fantastic. To, um, Congratulations to another recovering alcoholic drug addict. Wow, that's brilliant. She's three and a half years clean, and um, you know, we, we haven't we haven't even been together a year yet. But it just feels right, you know, to have that bond with somebody. That, no, I love that, that that we're building is. I'm just gonna. I I don't remember receiving an invite 
Um, so I'm just going to go and check my post box <laughs> for the wedding. Yeah, <laughs> we haven't got a date yet. To be fair, oh, I proposed last month, but um, is that another excuse? Or? <laughs> 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 but yeah, no, congratulations, and and this is it. You, I'm, I, I've told my friends I'm a bit of a hopeless romantic. You no, know, my love life hasn't been great. Um, been, been a bit of a roller coaster, but I'd love to bump into someone in Tesco. You know, bump trolleys, grab the same. Have you been watching too many rom coms? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> grab grab the same protein bar. Oh, you know okay. what I mean? And, and just it comes uh, like, just do it. And sometimes you don't, you never know. You never you know. never know. And obviously, Chris, you've met this um, your partner in a um, what do you call it? Sort of not a. You know, we say... Uh, not an ordinary place. Not an ordinary, we found love in a hopeless place. <laughs> you know, and, and that's, that's, a, that's yeah. one of the wedding songs, yeah. to be fair. And uh, like it. That's brilliant. Uh, I, I mean, I'm blown away by it. Um, just how powerful this... You know, you know the reality is, right, so, so drug addicts have a bit of a stigma about them, right? You know, whether, whether they're... You know, I've dealt now with crack, heroin, crystal meth addicts, right? When we sponsor people, it doesn't matter what drug it is. It's all mind-altering, right? It's all a substance. And... You know what? What you realise? Nobody made that decision. Nobody mm. makes that decision to pick up that next bit of gear. I know what we say. Well, you do, and and people say to me, just stop. It's not as easy as just stopping, right? Because I tried that a thousand times and relapsed. I, I'm going to stop now. This is the last line. This is. I couldn't do it, right? And you know this this thing around addiction. Nobody makes that choice. It's the same with. Well, I think it's the same with regards to mental health. People that don't understand mental health, they're just like, just just crack on, just yeah, deal with just it, just it just, just realize you're going through a bit of a shit time, but life life's hard. Just fucking deal with it, mm-hmm. and it that pisses me off. You know yeah, what I mean? Because yeah, you, yeah. you can't just be like, okay, no worries. I was I'm, one of them. I'm people. sound now. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you know, in my previous relationship, I think my girlfriend went through a, a depressive stage, and I just think. What's, what's wrong with you? You know, I'm, I'm in the middle of addiction at the time. And what's wrong with you? Your life's great. Just get on. You know, what do you need them pills for? Um, my son's gone through mental health, so my son went into the um, got under the care of the prior and got onto got onto um, antidepressants. You know, a, as a 15 year old kid. Um, and you know what? We talk so openly today. You know, he's coming up 17 now. He's been to a couple of meetings with me to realise men can talk. You know, when we go to these meetings, and you know, I've been to meetings with hundreds of people. Are all recovering drug addicts. So, you know, in what I do, there's no specialist. There's no specialist in. There. There's no counsellors. There's no. There's nobody is paid to be in these rooms. All these rooms are, is fellows, drug addicts, alcoholics looking for a better life and wanting to recover. People coming from all walks of life. You know, money without money. You know, religions. It, addiction does not discriminate to sex. You know, religion, race. You know, there's no. Powerful, isn't it? Yeah, there's there's no you know it doesn't cho- you know you know no stereotype of there's no stereotype a, a drug addict well, that's or just, yeah, it's the same with mental health know, isn't it there is no yeah. stereotype it is you know, anyone if I, yeah. and everyone if I yeah. ask you a question define an alcoholic what what would an alcoholic look like to you yeah yeah no, what, I, what's your answer um, people that people that are on the street long hair um, dirty clothes. <laughs> drink out of a brown paper bag mm-hmm. you know stuff that you see on the tv and films yeah. and driving around places that are not really that nice mm-hmm. but that's not that's not the case though is it 
Uh, you can have, um, a, well, Chris is an example, fully yeah. functioning professional salesman. Um, and look where look what he was I doing. I remember um, a few years ago when I was working in convenience, convenience shop, and um, used to open up sometimes in the mornings. And um, always used to see this this lady come in. She always used to come in seven o'clock in the morning when we opened, and she bought two little bottles of wine. You know the little bottles. Drink on yeah. the train. Yeah. And I used to think, oh wow. And the one day I went, um, someone else served her, and I followed her out um, just to go for a cigarette. Um, and these two bottles of wine were gone by the time she got to the corner, and she dumped them in the bin by the shop. And I, and that's yeah. when it, it sort of hit me that that, that person doesn't think twice about coming into the shop buying two bottles of wine and drinking them within 10, 15 yards of the shop and then going probably going to work to function as a normal adult. And what was your judgment on that? Yeah, probably bad. You're probably bad. I thought, oh, bloody hell, 7 o'clock in the morning, you're doing that. And I probably judged in a bad way. Mm-hmm. Which is natural, right? So yeah. judging is a natural defect we all have, yeah. And, you know, I can be like that now. You know, judgment. Of, we we judge everything, right? Nat- naturally, it's a, it's a natural thing. But you know, that woman was drinking to escape her, to to escape what's going on in her head. You know, yeah. a physical craving that that comes in, and you know, addiction is isn't just mental; it's physical, right? And, and it's a spiritual spiritual solution to it, right? Um, I was away two weeks ago. I went to Wales for a weekend with 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 the Christian Church. I'm not religious, by the way, but I went with the Christian Church because they do the twelve step recovery program. And I went away for th- I went away for two days in Wales just to, just to realign my recovery again to get me back in you know with 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 prayer with my connection with my meditation etc. Um, and I went away and you know and I stepped into into a, a an area that took me well out of my comfort zone right. But I've gone away with the Christians right to, to just to give this a try because I'm I'm a bit 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 um a bit fog eyed sometimes around this and I and I went with this intention right. I'm going away with the Christians so I've got to do what they do. Same as if I went away with the Muslims, I'm going to go to a mosque. And I had to go there and just embrace the exact way they do it. And I left there feeling, lit up. I left there feeling really good. Uh, I tried something different because if we're not growing, we're going. Right? If we're not growing in life, if we're not moving forward, we're going backwards. Right? There's no such thing as standing still. It doesn't exist. I said that. I, I've said that before because the world is evolving. So if you're not moving forward yeah, yeah. with it, you're actually going backwards. Yeah, Rocky Balboa said it, didn't he? It's not yeah. how hard you can hit, it's how hard you can get hit and keep moving <laughs> forward, right? Yeah. Um, but that's the reality. And, and that's the same for me in recovery. If, if I just keep doing the same thing, I'm going to get bored and I'm going to get bored very quickly. Yeah. You know, if I just sit in a room with you two people every single day, that's not going to keep me clean. You've got to be different people. You've got, you, know, you, you, need to, you, still, you still need life. You know, when I went into recovery, I realised that I, <laughs> my whole life has to change because my friends were no good. You know, I've got a couple of friends that I, that I stayed in touch with and not ones I drink with, but everything had to change. And, and I remember walking in and somebody, said, somebody actually said to me, Chris, I've got some good news. You've got to change one thing in your life. And I said, what's that? And he said, everything. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, that's and that's the reality now, you know, and everything's changed. My views, my outlook. The thought of drinking and taking drugs comes into my head on a daily basis. Right? The thought of me stopping and having a drink is in my head constantly. I'm at my mum and dad's, they've got loads of alcohol in the house. The thought is there to have it. I look at this bottle of vodka that's next to the tumble dryer, just at home on the right hand side. It's, it's halfway full up and I look at it every morning. Right? And I just think, I wonder why they ain't drunk any of that yet. Right? Because the thought, why would you have alcohol there and not drink it, right? And, it's, and again, you'd be honest around them thoughts. Why not? You know, they're faults. We, we've got no control over them faults. But what I've got control of now is when that fault comes in and says, have a drink, fuck off, mate. 
that's the reality. That's, that's good. That's what you need. You know, you, you're obviously strong enough through your journey to to do that. And let's just let's just obviously hope that continues. You know, mm-hmm. and obviously you're doing the right things. I think it's powerful what you said about getting involved with different people. I think um, I'm a bit of a stickler, if that's mm-hmm. the right word for routine. For, yeah, routine. Mm. Sticking around with the same people, doing the same things because it's comfort. It's comfort and, yeah, I'm a great believer in sort of hypocritical because I'm a great believer in the fact that great things don't come from comfort zones. Mm-hmm. So, but I do like a bit of comfort. I, I like the fact I've got my small circle of friends and that's it. But I'd love to be out there. I'd love to go and visit places and meet new people and stuff like that. I just... I don't know. I, I don't really know what's stopping me. You, how would you mind. know about it? Well, because for me, I suppose I've got I've got groups that I go to, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, so, what what I did, sorry to interrupt. What what I did is, I think I spoke about it before, um, the first sort of season that we did. When I was when I was going through when I was at my lowest, I reached out to um, a few a couple of groups, mental health, muscle and mental health mentors and they were they were very much fitness based and they used to like meet and eat and it was literally a group like 10 20 people all used to go to the gym train for an hour two hours and then all go out to a bit of unity waggle mamas or go and have some food and it was just uh, they're still my friends to this day it's just perhaps you know we've we've got a bit distant which obviously um i'm a bit upset about covid uh, i suppose had an impact in that yeah as well. yeah yeah it just completely stopped um but that was fucking fantastic you know and i i crave that in terms of i i went out of my comfort zone i went to this gym and i was like fuck like training with new, training with new people i normally train i did have a training buddy back in the day but then we stopped going together and then i was just on my own so i used to go into the gym on my own and then now I'm, I'm mixing in with like 20 different people and girls, you know, men, women, people my age, people, you know, 40 and above. It's and all because they were on their own journey of mental health. And it was a space. It was correct. It was the whole fact of creating a safe environment where we could speak and not feel judged and just just be part of a community. And oh, I think right. that- yeah, and obviously with Chris saying about going away with a Christian church, it's it's something different. Yeah, yeah. Um, but everything, everything, di- I think everything different that you do is good. Is 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 a way of helping. You know, I think you know, in 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 any unity is a massive part of life, right? So unity, whether it's from a fellowship group, whether it's from what you do, unity is important. You know, you've got to have. You know, for us as Whatever you've got to have them times where you can go out, have that bite to eat with nothing, you know, for us after, after a recovery meeting, sometimes we want to go for a bit to eat, bite to eat, sit, be a bit unsociable, maybe have them inappropriate jokes a little, you know, to still have life. Because for me, when I went into recovery, my life, my life didn't end, it just began. And my life began the day I went into coca, into the fellowship, right? And, and worked it. And it's, it's just got better and better and better. Oh, I love that. Absolutely brilliant. So, obviously, not not obviously your your extent, I suppose. But have you ever felt have you ever been addicted or felt addicted to something, Lewis? Me? Yeah. 
Oh, I, I used to smoke. 20 a day. 20 a day. Sometimes more. I've never smoked. Is, never, um, is it expensive? Um, it didn't used to be. It is now. Is it? Okay. It got expensive. But 13 quid a packet. It's quite yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I okay. used to smoke. Used to, oh I, d- I didn't need it and I didn't want it. I just did it. And how did you stop? Uh, Laura said to me, you, so you it, got, it, you got his, to stop. His girlfriend. Um, uh, I knew we, we were flying. We were going to Edinburgh uh, for the weekend with um, her parents and her sister and her sister's husband. He said, just, just stop. Just do it, and I'd like you all the time. I go, yeah, I'm going to stop. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm going to stop. From probably when I was 18 to 28, so for 10 years I probably smoked for. Yeah, I'm going to stop. Yeah, I'm going to stop. Um, I never did, um, and I, I always, I always felt guilty. So when I used to live uh, in Cardiff, um, the previous partner, and I, yeah, I'm going to quit smoking. Yeah, I'm going to quit smoking, I, and I never did. So I used to hide it. Um, used to have a little um, cupboard at the bottom of the stairs. So we had flats, and it was a cupboard at the bottom of the stairs. I used to keep my bike in there, and that's why I used to go to work. In that cupboard, I used to keep spare jackets, gloves, um, vinyl gloves, so that my hands wouldn't smell. Mints, aftershave, uh, listerine, all of that stuff. So you know, I'd wake up in the morning, and I'd be up making myself coffee, and in my head, I'd be like. Oh, Yes, you can, you can have a cigarette in a minute. In, in five minutes' time, you could be riding your bike to work and you're having a cigarette. And then so it's fucking. It's a uh, lot of prep. And and then I'd come home. That, I'd come home. I'd quietly put my bike back in the cupboard. I lock. I'd lock the door behind me. There was a light in there. I'd change my jacket, spray myself, mouthwash, brush my teeth, everything. I'd have the take my take the gloves off, and then I'd go upstairs and pretend everything was normal. So you're living a lie. I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you put it like that, but so, so what do you do now? Do you, do you, do you, uh, so I use many smokers vape. Yeah, I use I use the nicotine replacement, so a lot of vape. Okay. Yeah. Because, and I, and that's still probably because I haven't got rid of the addiction. The addiction to nicotine is still there because I need it. And I feel like I need it. It gets me through work. It gets me through daily stresses. But it's probably. A healthier way of dealing with it, yeah. Probably, yeah. Thinking about it, now, I still have still have that addiction to nicotine. It's quite horrible feeling, yeah. Strange. Well, but I don't live. Opened a, your eyes. I don't live a lie now because yeah. I I don't hide. <clears throat> I I did that for a year, two, about a year, just constantly. Does she know? This was a previous girlfriend, okay. And she did find out. I'll tell you how she found out. I was walking out of work one day, a couple of the lads thinking, "Oh, gonna go. We'll, we'll go to the pub." And then I'll go home. So we all there, like, lit up a cigarette, walked through car park, horn beeps, didn't it? <laughs> Turns to my left, there she was. And do you know what I did? Try and, try and run you over. No, I carried on walking. Is carried it? on walking, yeah. yeah. As, if, as if I'd never seen it. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. And that, that's a, that, that's a, that's a, like, it's not a massive addiction, but that, that is addiction. Because I didn't want to stop. I didn't want to give it up. I needed it. But now I'm honest, you know, I was, um, with Laura, Laura's brilliant. She said, "Look, you can stop if you want to. You know, I've still got, I'm still taking the nicotine, still doing that, but I'm not smoking. I'm not spending that money every week. Um, and I've had occasional cigarettes in in the time because, you know, it's like you, got my in my head, my head goes, yeah, I want a cigarette. But I've been honest about it, so I've, I've, 
when I've got home, I'm like, Laurie, I've had a cigarette tonight. Yeah, she's been angry with me, been moody, but then I think she understands it. She realised, oh, actually, you've been honest with me. You haven't lied to me. Yeah. Which is the difference between what I used to live and what I do live now. So, yeah, it's a strange one. It's really made me think, <laughs> it's really made me think now, yeah. <laughs> it's, at least you're honest. At least yeah. you're honest. You have to be, though, don't you? Yeah. yeah. What about you? Addiction? <laughs> right now, I think it's... Uh... Monster Ultra energy drinks. Oh, well. I, I seem to. I've just come have, off of that. Yeah, I seem that, to have that's that. That's a powerful I, one as well. You know, I, energy I, drinks. I used to drink the green one, but now I drink the ultra white one because I think it's better for you and I think it tastes better. But every day I have one. Every yeah, day without yeah. fail, I have one, and I actually feel weak if I don't have it's one. It's caffeine, isn't it? So yeah, you could say yeah. that you've got a caffeine addiction every day without fail. Mm. And I cannot wait. But I don't drink morning. coffee or anything like that. I have to have a coffee. I can't, yeah. I can't yeah. function normally. But when when I was sort of going through my lowest point, um, unnecessary spending was one of them. Okay. Um, I was, you know, I was still living at home, so all the all the money from my wage was mine. My parents, we spoke about it before. My parents didn't charge me any rent. Yeah, I remember or anything so. like that. And I was well looked after, you know, they didn't buy any food. So literally, my whole pay packet was mine. Um, you blow it. Suits, uh, wa- oh, yeah, yeah. watches. I remember you being. You know, a £1,000 watch. A suit, um, man. £1,000 necklace. Yeah. Um, the necklace was a bit, of a, a bit of a touchy one because I actually bought, I treated myself. As, you can see it both ways, but I actually treated myself to that necklace. And I remember telling. Um, she's actually the mother of my second child. Um, I told her at the time, I'm buying this because I didn't kill myself as a treat. Oh, wow. Like, and that, so that necklace, I didn't mind spending that because it meant a lot. It meant a lot to me. Um, but unnecessary, unnecessary shoes, trainers, um, Denim jackets like eighty and ninety quid. You know, not not like proper designer Gucci and all that bollocks, but just unnecessary clothes shopping when I should have been a lot smarter with money. Um, the next one is women, women um, being a bit of a player. Not going to go into too much detail, but where I was, my old, my last, my old workplace. Um, I was in the office and I was a bit of bit of the joker because I was had multiple birds on the go uh, every day, every day, and you know, sort of bragging, being pumping my chest out, bragging to to the lads in the gym, being very un- not in the gym, the lads in the office being very unprofessional, sort of saying, "Oh, look at this bird, look at this bird," you know, she wants it. Uh, Putting your ego face on. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I went through a bit of a phase where. <sighs> What, what do you call it? Sowing your wild oats or whatever. Um, you know, went on a bit of a bit of a spree for a bit, which not proud of. And actually, looking back on it, you'd get home after doing the deed, and you'd feel empty. You'd feel absolutely empty. But it wouldn't stop me trying to get the next one tomorrow, or the mm. next one after that. Um, and I remember my boss. Like I went through a bit of a bit of a weird time um, at work. Uh, this is when I used to work. And um, my boss was sort of sat me down and he goes, you're sort of kind of unperforming um, than what you used to. Um, and the way you talk about girls, I think you're a sex addict. Really? And I said, 
I don't think I am. I just like a bit of sex and I'm single. I'm going through a bit of a hard time. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to use, trying to keep myself, trying to use the female company as just a, an escape. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't see myself as an addict at the time. But looking back, I think perhaps, perhaps I was. Perhaps I was. Um, but very quickly snapped out of it. Very quickly snapped out of it because I just thought, you know, enough's enough. I need to start being a, a proper dad, get my shit together, get this house. And obviously that was my focus for... You did it. Yeah, I did it. Probable. I, I did it. I went from having no money in September 2002 and 19 i had no money no savings um to put in an offering on my first house in august 2020 top man so and then obviously i got the keys in feb so it allowed me that extra six months to get more money and more savings but but yeah incredibly proud of, of what i did and um you know if you know recovering addiction i think Part of it was, again, money and a bit of the sex. I'll write that, Paul. Thank you. So, yeah, it's been, um, it's been a long, been a long uh, episode. Um, insightful. Oh, yeah. Honest. Um, emotional. Um, but it's time for that, that section. That bit of the section, is that, it? That section we of the podcast. It? Let's go. Top Tips with Lewis and Paul. And Chris. Um, guests go first, yeah, as guests always. go first. So, Chris. Could be anything. Anything anything at all. Your top tip to help the listeners in any way. Help other people. It's probably the best tip I can give. Help others. Wow. Okay. I like that. Simple. <laughs> that's, that's probably one of the <laughs> very simple very simple yeah okay any do you want to elaborate or obviously for me I sponsor quite a few people in recovery and it's helping people through my experience um, helps me stay clean and clear focused because by telling you know we say we say student learns best when he becomes teacher yeah right so yeah I think help others and and, and you know the other thing is remain vulnerable there's nothing wrong with vulnerability and you know, and for me, as you know, coming up a five-year clean alcoholic drug addict, I remain vulnerable and I stay honest. It keeps me clean. I like that. That is really good, and I agree. I absolutely agree with the f- with, with that because um, helping other people. I I always say, and obviously, I'm a massive advocate of mental health. For, I went to mental health mentors and became a mentor through through their course that they do. Um, obviously, through work, I'm a mental health first aider, and we do this podcast and this is exactly why we do it to help people. Yeah. And I say to people, the reason I do this is because when, when I was at my lowest, I never want anyone in the world, not even my worst enemy to feel the way I felt. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly why. And it's, I think we've covered it before. The fact that the amount of people that go through their journey, they're the ones that want to help. They're the ones that are actively pushing mental health and raising awareness for it because they know how low it can get. Yeah, yeah. So I massively agree with that. That doesn't count as your top tip, though. No, that's not. Uh, Lewis, you're going first. Me? Yeah. Oh, simple again. Be honest. Okay. Um, be honest. Yeah, it's, it's hard to be honest. I'm not going to lie. 
<laughs> <Sounds weird. laughs> it, it genuinely is, you know. And like, when I sat here telling you that story, then it, uh, that's, it's when I realised, and you said I, I was living a lie because I was lying to everybody around me that I'd stopped smoking. But now I'm honest about it. I think everyone, if they were just honest about one thing a day, make everything better. So yeah, be honest with yourself and others. Okay, that's good. That's good. You're struggling here, aren't you? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Went for my phone there. I couldn't reach it. <laughs> um, oh right, so my top tip would be... <laughs> um, it's kind of similar to yours. Oh, it's not yeah, yeah. kind of similar. Yeah. Take the first step. Okay. Yeah. The, yeah, fir- yeah. the first step is important. The reason why I say similar to yours is obviously you have to be honest with yourself in order to take the first step. But yeah, but when you take the first step, so take for example, Chris, you took the first step, but you still weren't honest. Mm-hmm. Even yeah. six, you say sixty days later, sixty you, days later, so you yeah. still weren't being honest. So yeah, it's different. Well, let, I'll let you have okay. that one. Yeah, because you, you can take the first step, but Thanks still, yeah. So taking the first step is important, and you know. Uh, as I said, we covered it through the light bulb moment as well, you know, realising that there is a problem and taking the first step to, to, to make a change, whatever that is, whether it's addiction, whether it's battling depression, um, anything, you know, take the first step. Brilliant. No, fantastic. Absolutely brilliant episode. Um, thank you for sharing um, for all me. that. Um, I think it's powerful. Um We've we've had a few powerful episodes yeah, recently, yeah, and yeah. it's uh, that's probably part the most powerful one I've ever listened to. For yeah. someone to come on and be so honest, it's uh, yeah, it's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that, Chris. Thank you. That, is that us done? That is us done. Until so, next time. Until next time. Peace out. Peace out. Thank you. Ciao.